I'm Colin Moulton, and you're listening to Barefoot Comedy Pro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Barefoot Comedy Pro. I say another. This is our first one. <laughs> I love that part of podcasting where people, guys are people, guys, women, uh, animals, uh, people of non-binary preference tend to perform each event as if it is uh, to Madison Square Garden. And that's the way we should live our lives. I love that. And the people of Barefoot Comedy Pro do just that. The people that I choose to uh, interview in Barefoot Comedy Pro are, uh, I'm drawn to them because they're high achievers. And uh, in the in the spirit of a Tim Ferriss deconstruction of high achievers show, uh, I have created this wing of the Barefoot Comedy Podcast, uh, the Barefoot Comedy Show. It's called Barefoot Comedy Pro. And uh, our guest today is Thomas Stanley, neurologist in Savannah, a guy that I'm doing some fundraising with here in November with Michael Palisak. Uh, he's com- Michael Palisak's coming to perform for us. We're raising money for Parent University and the Skidaway Rotary on behalf of Tom Stanley. Thank you, Tom. And um, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to ForMyCard.com. Thank you to Huckapoo's. Thank you to um, to uh, Heg Woodshop, and uh, and thank you to Hotel Tybee. All right, so let's get into it with Thomas Stanley, neurologist, retired neurologist, and Skidaway Skidaway Rotarian president. Here he is, Tom well, Stanley. I just turned us on. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> this is Thomas Stanley. Thomas or Tom? Tom. Tom Stanley. Okay. Right. And are you? Uh, do you identify currently as a? Member of the Skidaway Rotary or as a neurologist? Uh, well, I'm retired. Okay. And uh, so <laughs> primarily as a Rotarian. A Rotarian. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. Rotarian. That's the terminology. I don't know the terminology. I yes, said member of Skidaway Rotary, but yes, Rotarian. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, so I met you because you came to me after coming to one of our shows, uh, the Barefoot that's Comedy correct. Show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And... Uh, and you impressed uh, me with your questions about um, what we're doing and discussing your nonprofit that you're representing through the Rotary this time. Now, this isn't all the time. This is who you're assisting this time, right? That's correct. We, we do a number of, uh, of charities, um, but we have a major focus on children uh, at risk uh, in, in the city uh, and particularly on, on literacy. Yeah, so that was because I have kids, and that really fired me up. But we've done a lot of um, wildlife ones lately, and that kind of thing. And I just know there's so much going on out there that you know people need help with their kids, and um, the way the world is, especially with social media and everything. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, but uh, but first of all, you, you you're also a, you're a retired neurologist. That's neurologist? Right. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. So that's a. Uh, that industry must be changing pretty fast, right? Like if you went in right now, if you're like, hey, I'm going to go into work, would it, would it look totally different than what you were doing before you retired? That's right. I mean, I left uh, three or four years ago, so I, you know, I, I could probably find the door. But I don't know what <laughs> Once you're after, in there, they'd be like, why don't you That's clean correct. up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> empty the trash cans. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Is it, it moves fast, right? It does. Okay, especially now. Yes. Would you say it's burgeoning in the same way that maybe the industrial revolution uh, or technology is or, uh, regarding, I guess it's Moore's law, where the more, the more technology uh, we get, the, more, uh, uh, the faster it goes? It's, it's rapidly expanding, no question about it. Yeah. As, as technology uh, impinges on it. Yeah. 
And were you was that what you did your whole adult life, your whole professional life? That's correct. Wow. What it was, uh, I guess one, how does one get into neurology? Were you like it wasn't you know it wasn't when you were a kid and everybody else had fireman suits on and <laughs> you're, like, you're like I want to work on brains. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it was uh, you know it, it sort of grew. Was it a process uh, and, from and medical process, school? Process, you know, I I, uh, I did do a lot of reading, you know, early along, and uh, so that has to do with the use of the of the brain and and how people uh, think and remember things and. Uh, how um you know just how the how the brain works yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty deep and the more we find out the more would you is it true or cliche that people say um the more we find out the less we know kind of about the brain or is there, is there still a lot to know there is a lot to know and there's a lot to do uh but when when i started out uh, there were major diseases that we really had no treatment for Things like uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, Alzheimer's disease, whereas now we do have some handles on it. Okay, so in your professional time as a neurologist, you guys made discoveries that um, that we're working with now that are just sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I think right now, um, I th- well, the AIDS fight is one example of like you that that's a totally different conversation than it was, you know, twenty five, thirty yes. years ago. Yeah. Somebody has HIV, and now they just seek treatment. That's correct. Yeah. So with Alzheimer's, um, they're still discovering, and and I think with with social media, I feel like I keep seeing these things about Alzheimer's that may or may not be true. Would you say some of that's clickbait? Is it still, or or is there is there a lot of new things coming up right now? There, I, I feel like they keep saying things like, "Oh, and by the way, toothpaste causes Alzheimer's," or you know what I mean? <laughs> that's one of those ones that we're you know. Yes, well, when you don't have a cure, and, and we don't have a cure for Alzheimer's disease, um, then uh, lots of remedies arise, so you have to be aware of that. Is it new information that um, sleep deprivation is related to Alzheimer's, or is that something that was has been known a long time? Uh, that's something that's being studied, you know, you know, it's, it, it's a new topic. It's a new know. topic, mm-hmm. yeah. Would you say in your experience with those things that that uh, that that this potentially a thing? Uh, well, I think that um, uh, the verdict's not in, yeah. uh, but it's kind of hard to separate the disorder uh, from, if, if you think that sleep is a cause, it's hard to separate those because people that s- start um, getting uh, changes in Alzheimer's disease, um, it may start uh, over a period. They think even you know in middle life there may be some changes that are that are occurring. So the, the sleep problem could be part of a, a later brain difficulty. It could even be an additional symptom to something that's causing Alzheimer's. So the, the sleep deprivation or the inability to sleep could be happening because of um, because of the same problem that's causing Alzheimer's that we're not sure of. Could be, could be, yeah. but the, you know, the most common cause uh, would be things that have to do with uh, stress or worry, or, yeah. you know, common everyday things. Yeah. So, um, as a neurologist, that uh, did you always were you always a Rotarian? No, no, I, I became a Rotarian when I retired because it takes a, a good bit of time, and uh, so my days were were really filled. Did you just jump right in, or did you take a year and go boating? <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly. I, I started. Year. I started. You know, it, 
if if you're used to a busy life, uh, you, you sort of jump in from you know from one thing to another. I sort sort of got into another uh, activity that was uh, really challenging. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, are you? Uh, what's your position in the Skidaway Rotary? Uh, uh, this year, I'm I'm the president. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, many, many of our members, uh, you know, rotate uh, through that. So I'm sort of a newbie. Is that a pun? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, they rotate through the Rotarians. Uh, all right. So um, this particular uh, nonprofit. So I was fired up because um, I think because you were fired up when you talked to me about it. You were um, you were describing that uh, a lot of a lot of lower income families um, may or may not have. Uh, uh, a, ch- a child in a lower income family or a, a, um, uh, in a household that doesn't have a lot of um, time and to spend with them may have a lower vocabulary. And, and having a lower vocabulary going into school, um, you implied to me when we were talking that that seems to be the core reason a child would have a very difficult time learning. It, you said, yes, the, it's the a term- major, it's a major obstacle uh, yeah. because, um, a child uh, appears at the doorstep of a school for the first time and has maybe only 1,200-word vocabulary and other children who've heard you know, thousands and thousands of words uh, understand many of those words. And so it's a real disadvantage because what, what happens in reading is you have to have the, the understanding of the language, the spoken language, so that you can hang reading on it. It's a structure. That was the term you used, hang reading on it. And that, yes. makes, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't really, how could you possibly learn if you're struggling to understand the words that are being said and filling in in between? All your energy goes to understanding the sentence that was just told to you. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, yeah, my son, exactly. I see my son do that sometimes. If I use too big of words with him, if we're talking and I'm, I start talking to him like he's an adult about something and he'll get caught up and kind of frustrated and I realized, of course, that I have to then speak in his language a little more, you know, uh, bring it back down to where he can un- use words he can understand that are appropriate, you know, for his age group. And then he, you know, then then he doesn't have to spend the energy. Right. And and of course, and then he, he gains uh, self-confidence as right. he hears more words. And then he's going to start asking you, well, what does that mean, Dad? Yeah. And, he, and that feeds it. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I want to, there's a delicate term, low-income family. Um, I was, I grew up poor. Um, I think the the real key factor is when some when when a family is stressed, you have a single mom, or you have um, or something going on in the family that whether it's a financial strain or whatever, um, you have uh, less time to spend with the children on their development. That's really what it comes down to, I think, right? Because of the the you know the perils of life. Yeah, the the, the time is uh, is is not available. Two three jobs sometimes just trying to yeah. trying to keep food, for, you know, on the table or uh, you know a, a roof over people's heads and uh, and that pretty much does it. And, and what you, what you really need is is somebody to sit down with the child and and talk to them and tell them a story or answer their questions. They get lots and lots of questions. The more questions that you answer, the more questions you start getting back, and that and that's the. Uh, uh, the wheels of the brain starting to, to turn and children being engaged in, in, in something. And that's, that's a kind of curiosity which really helps them in school later. If they come to the school door and they've had uh, exposure to that kind of 
uh, language experience, stories being read to, uh, engaged in a family conversation around the table. Well, it's it's fairly uh, rare to get everybody around the table these days. Right. Yeah. Two, three jobs, not going to yes. happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Would you say that that um, uh, sitting the question, like you said, uh, when they hear questions, when a parent asks a child a question, what they're I think one of the benefits in, in my experience with this is uh, my kids are mimics so that, you know, I could tell them all day long to do something, have manners, do this or whatever. But if I don't show them and do it, they're never going to do it. Never going to do it. They're only going to, I only, uh, you know, 90% of my parenting I've, I'm learning is modeling, which is, you know, I think that's correct. I mean, they see sometimes. they see what's yeah. going on. I mean, yeah, you might I, say one thing. I'm not who I want to be. You know, I always want to be better, right? So I right. see these little flaws developing in my kids that I have, and I'm like, oh, no. I was telling them to do something different, but showing them a whole other thing. That's right. So that goes down to this core thing where if you read to them, you talk to them, you ask them questions, then they ask questions. You show uh, a calm, patient confidence with them. They show a calm, patient confidence with learning. So I think that's where the it's so frustrating when when you see these problems with um, you know uh, like I said poorer families or low income families where um, it's it's out of their control to some degree because you really just don't have the time and energy. I mean I barely have. That's it. true. That's true. So you have to start uh, uh, finding ways to have uh, a child experience more and more words, and and one way is maybe to find a, a reader. Uh, in the family, uh, an older uh, sibling who uh, is, you know, working on on telling stories and and is is able to to read books to his uh, younger brothers and sisters. That was going to be my question: was if I'm a single mom listening to this conversation, what's something I can do with my schedule of three jobs and <laughs> making food for all these kids? And what am I going to do? What's what are three things I can do to make sure that these kids aren't you know, in their time when they're, you know, at home and I'm not there with them, what are some things I can set them up for, for success with? Well, uh, it's, it's a good idea to um, form alliances with your neighbors because there, there may be a, a neighbor who is quite willing or has the time to pull some kids together and give, tell stories, uh, read books. Uh, that's, that's a really important thing to do. It's a, a good uh, outlet community support yeah, yeah. community groups yeah. Yeah. that have the and same then, idea and then if if you're lucky enough uh, a uh, a grandmother that's uh, close by or an aunt a cousin those are those are all uh, ready opportunities yeah so th- just the experience and of uh, modeling I think is kind of key here you know I, I feel like uh, so w- with our nonprofit that we're talking about here um, you're represent or this time we're raising money for two particular schools is that correct well we're uh, looking at um, uh, parent university okay uh, slash early childhood um, college where can they be early, found by the way early, is it early just learning go- college is, is that national or is that just a local no, that uh, is the idea, I think, is taking on uh, nationally. But uh, this organization is a local um, organization which has is, which is grown up um, over the last uh, 20 years. And they are quite remarkable because they realize that there is a time uh, in the development of a child's brain where it's experienced 
expanding. They're taking everything in that they hear and see, particularly uh, at, at uh, one to three years of age. It's really being taken in. And so that, that uh, experience of hearing words and seeing things becomes more and more important. And so uh, parents that uh, have more advantage uh, frequently will find daycare for their child uh, in those, those years, uh, zero to, to four, uh, and look for what we call enhanced um, reading or, or uh, uh, preparation for literacy uh, in, in that. And, and that's, uh, it's expensive to get good daycare mm-hmm. that does that. Uh, so that uh, you know, there, we have to find ways to to have that uh, happen. Would you say group daycare is um, ideal, or is a one-on-one situation like a, a nanny with childhood development um, capability uh, is that ideal, or or is it or is neither ideal? Just either one. I think both are very good. Yeah, both are. Very and good. if you have the opportunity to have. Both, it's wow, just both be terrific yeah. because what this think what's happening in the grouped uh, care situation, you get social uh, abilities um, uh, learned and and how to to think about others and to uh, wait your turn and be respectful and give attention. A, a big factor is just being able to give attention to someone who's speaking it so that the child can become engaged. Yeah, to listen to the yeah, yeah the, the speaker. Yeah, that uh that yeah, we're talking about online charter for our kids now, one going into high school, one going into junior high and I I am really pleased with the capabilities that we have technology-wise to be able to do that now. Homeschooling's a different thing because you can intentionally socialize. And maybe you can answer this question because I've talked about this before with friends on my podcast and just I've had debates with people that I about this. Um I feel like um uh, I socialize intentionally. If I want to meet somebody, like I took to you because of your energy and your focus on, uh, you have a moral tenant, you know, they're just things that like appeal to me as a person. Uh, um, So I intentionally socialize with you. If I met you at a bus stop, I would do the same. (laughs) But, But if I'm sitting at a bus stop, I don't just socialize with whoever's standing next to me because they're there. Yet that's how we ask our children to to learn how to socialize. And I feel like there's a, a... a, co- a cost to that, generally speaking, but there's an even greater cost when the lowest common denominator of moral tenant and social behavior is 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 more and more pushed through social media. So we end up with this lower common denominator that happens through social media, whether it's you know just how people relate. And um, that being said, um, my idea is to uh, is that homeschooling can can be done in a way that is coupled with intentional socialization. So they, the, the, the children are involved in social groups outside of their X amount of hours per day of academia. Um, <clears throat> but they're specific to their interests, their, their, uh, or, or you know, your, your knowledge of their inclinations. Like maybe they like to cook, so we go to a cooking group, and so they're with these children in these intentional socialization. But everybody always wants to argue that there's value to being thrown into a room with a bunch of kids and some, uh, and some understaffed teachers. I mean, you know, 
that that's going to help them learn skills. Do you agree with that or do you disagree? Well, I think we all know that the student-teacher ratio um, right. was, uh, is, desperate. is, is really uh, important. Yeah, uh, and, and it's in desperate uh, uh, positions mostly because of funding, I think. I mean, really, a lot of schools are that way. Yeah, you know, I think it's a matter of people realizing um, how important this um, ratio is and having people available even uh, in the years from zero to four uh, who can give time uh, to children and uh, stimulate them. The, the, there's a general awareness, I think, that is um, occurring or, or is happening in our community where people are more and more aware that we need to do this, that, that, that if we don't uh, do this, then a child shows up at the door of the school. They have a, uh, a real um, challenge in front of them to be able to read well. Um, many with only 1,200 words have great difficulty and may never achieve good reading. They may be what we call functionally illiterate. They can read a word here, there, and yonder, but they don't put them together because they, they haven't uh, had that earlier background. And, and we, we know uh, from statistics that if a, if a child is not reading by the third grade, the chances of graduation drops considerably. Oh, for sure. And we know that incarceration goes up considerably. Yeah. Uh, and we know that the chances of uh, getting good work later becomes an obstacle. Yeah. Oh. So, or, or trying to get into... Or options, anyway. Right. Trying to get into a good trade school or college. Well, my specific question was, is there validity to the argument that a child being put into a... a a public school that's underfunded is going to also, there's pros and cons. And the pros would be that they're going to learn these deep social skills by trying to survive that environment. Is that, is there validity to that argument or not? Cause I, I always, I hear that a lot. Like, well, you can't, you know, cause there was a homeschooling movement in the seventies and I think it was kind of an incomplete idea for some people. And so the children were under socialized for many, you know, that's the argument. Um, so your knowledge of the brain and how it works in childhood development, do you, do, you, uh, do you think that they can learn those skills without being thrown into a large group of people? That are... um, I think that um, there are skills that are learned in being with a large group of people, but uh, I think that uh, those skills are basically social, uh, whether it's a large group or, or, a small group or a smaller one, and it makes a difference the kind of leadership that you have, you know, whether it's a parent that's really conscientious, uh, they talk with their children, they're willing to, to set the time aside uh, from things that they would like to do or pressed about, and, and they, they help that child, they give them quality. That may go back to modeling, too, because if you put a child in a room that's, uh, you know, stressed... And and uh, and the teacher's not able to execute proper leadership because there's too many kids and they're under they're under supported. Um, then that modeling's there for not good leadership, right? So I think maybe that's that's well, it the gets back to the smaller. to the old ratio. Um, it's yeah. probably a whole lot better to have uh, a fewer balance. students per teacher. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Well, that kind of answers my question about socialization. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, the schools that we're supporting are uh, Hass. Is that right? Or what, what were the two that we're supporting? Well, uh, um, this time around. we are a Rotary Club, one of about eight Rotary Clubs yeah. in Savannah. And we happen to be, uh, among other uh, charities, uh, working with uh, Isle of Hope um, K uh, pre-K through eight okay. and Hess, which is a pre-K yeah. through eight. Um, that's who the beneficiary of this particular fundraiser is, correct? And that's one of our beneficiaries. Of, okay. so the, uh, the other uh, is the parent university. Oh, okay. Parent early, university. Okay, yeah, both. Early childhood. Oh, okay, so you know, all three. Okay, learning. I got it. I got it. Great. So um, I'm going to be uh, communicating with, uh, who is the representative from Parenting University? Uh, it would be Paul Fisher. Okay. Uh, he's uh, one of the uh, directors, and he did he was and he one of the founders? Michael O'Neill uh, okay. is the um, is the other uh, director. Okay, great. So I'll communicate with them, and um, and then I'll get their. Uh, but I think you can, they can be Googled and researched, and then uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, great. And how do we find about? And they tr uh, they try to make themselves available because uh, I think uh, Parent University. Um, Early Learning College has now reached a, uh, a critical point where they uh, there's a breakout. What I'm what I'm saying by that is that this year uh, they have a partnership uh, with the school system, uh, and they are uh, now having sessions of training parents about how to stimulate their children at home. Uh, as far as language and sociability uh, is concerned. And the, the really neat thing that's happening out of that is that parents are coming to these sessions that are being rotated in many of the schools in Savannah now. And they are also registering their younger children who are not yet coming to school. They're zero to four or five years old. And so they're having an opportunity to, to learn about ways to leverage uh, learning and words and, and sociability uh, very early. And so when they come to the school door, they'll be much better um, equipped. It'll just feel right to learn. It'll, yes. Yeah, they'll have the yeah. tools to do it instead yeah. of everything being new. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, our event is the 16th is our is our fundraiser for Tybee Post Theater, but your the fundraiser at the um, landings is right. the it's on 13th. the 13th. Yeah, we have right. Michael Palisak, myself, Ra Rabbi Robert Haas, and uh, some uh, variety as well. Yes, we'll have uh, some. Uh, we'll have uh, initially um, a, a song and uh, dance by a couple, uh, Patricia Alley and David Alley. And they will uh, sing Getting to Know You from The King and I. And Patricia is uh, quite a good uh, tap dancer, and she will be doing an interpretation uh, to that. You know, it's funny. I didn't know what the, I didn't know the, the song Getting to Know You from The King and I. So when you said it's uh, Getting to Know You from The King and I, I thought you meant like it's like a piece from The King and I. It's kind of a Getting to Know You. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> also it, that. It's also that, that, yeah. Because <laughs> yes. it is our first yeah. one. And then, and then we'll yeah. have some uh, quartet uh, pieces from the... Um, 13th Colony, uh, in particular, it's the Tomachichi Tomachi Chant. Chant. What is quartet. that? 
Uh, that's the name of the quartet. That's the name of the oh, quartet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was a thing. Like we were gonna all do the Tomachika. No, no, we're not. We're not gonna have that. But you know, uh, I didn't. I really thought that. Yeah, um, that's funny. And uh, so that will happen uh, as a uh, sort of um, texture and uh, starter yeah. uh, point uh, for the I'm getting evening. Getting to know you. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it'll be very enjoyable. And uh, then Rabbi will do his stand up. Yes, yes, uh, he will be our MC for the evening. And so it will be uh, an evening of uh, of three uh, stand up comedians. Yeah, I've heard of and it's, this most is, of these guys. Yes, and it's um, <laughs> it's clean comedy, and it requires, uh, I think, a lot more thinking on the part of the performers uh, on the material that they were able to, to come up with. Yeah, well, Rabbi's always been so good. He's just such a great. He's naturally yeah. so funny, and yeah. then. Um, uh, Michael Palisak's always just been a clean comic. He's just, that's who he is. He, that's what he thinks is funny, and uh, he's very good at it. And then myself, um, I've gone every which way with comedy, but um, I'll also be performing. So Michael Palisak, Colin Moulton, Robbie Robert Haas, uh, Tomo Chichi Chan, and then Getting to Know You. Um, and that'll be at the Skidaway Rotary. Yes, Once and, and uh, tickets. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tickets can be obtained uh, by calling... Our one of our uh, Rotarians, Susan Klein. Susan Klein, nine one two five nine eight four two three four. That's right. it. And uh, yeah. So all they have to do is call nine one two five nine eight four two three four, and if they don't catch Susan, just leave a message, and then she'll be back with them. And then go to goodsoulauction.com, S-O-L-E, and you'll see all the items that are up for auction for the 16th show. A bunch of people from the Rotary will be coming out there. We'll be all out there like usual, and we'll be doing the stand-up and the podcast from barefootcomedy.com. So uh, this has been a Barefoot Comedy podcast and interview with Thomas Stanley. Thomas, is there anything you want to add or that you can think of that you want to tell the world? Of <laughs> I think we've people? said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to have this conversation with you so yes. bad when I met you because... I just knew you knew a lot about what we were talking about, and um, and it's appealing to me as a parent. And I think when people, you know, get somebody like you in a room, they want to know what you know a little bit. You know, it's an advantage. It, like you said, um, the parents that go to parenting university and learn these, I, I want, I don't want to say tricks, but learn these methods of uh, gaining an advantage, giving the child an advantage in learning. It's just knowledge. It's just knowing a little bit extra about these simple things. Like, ah, oh, I do that all the time as a parent, where I think. Oh, man, I should have thought of that, like the modeling thing. Well, I think what happens in the process uh, is the parent uh, has has a special spot there that says, ah, early learning for my child can end up with a, a successful life. Yes. It's a very important part and, and then, of having a successful life. And then that life. child can buy me a house in the <laughs> landings. <laughs> That's what they're shooting for. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Thomas. I really okay. appreciate it. All right, we're good? You got everything done that you wanted to? My pleasure. All right, thank you, sir. All right, that is it for the Barefoot Comedy Pro. Barefoot Comedy Pro cast, I guess. I don't know what we're calling it. Anyway, episode one in the can. Uh, I'm going to be inter- uh, interviewing uh, the owner of Savannah B, by the na- a guy by the name of Ted. Really cool dude. Super cool dude, actually. You're going to love that guy. Um, he's become a friend of mine through business. Or not a friend, just an acquaintance, but we kind of have that... You ever meet somebody and you kind of make eye contact with them and you're like, I know you. And, he, and they're like, I know you too. Like, we're kind of birds of a feather in some way. Maybe it's the weird necklaces that we're wearing or something. Like some sort of bone necklace or look in your eye like maybe you, once or twice you accidentally did LSD. or <laughs> like, I know you. <laughs> 
Anyway, he's really cool. Not that he's done LSD. <laughs> Hang on. Did I just out somebody? No, he's just a really cool dude. Also, um, a fellow by the name of Danny Merritt has committed to coming on. He's running for Congress uh, here in Georgia, for Georgia, uh, this district. I don't know how that breaks down, but we'll talk to him about it and find out. I have some more guests coming up in the queue for the Barefoot Comedy Pro. Also, just get the feed going, man, and uh, get our live shows where we raise money um, for all of our nonprofits, uh, local nonprofits here in Savannah. Uh, we've raised money for Habitat for Humanity. We're coming up on LLS uh, in January, uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And and then, you know, and of course, uh, the um, Parent University that we just talked about. So enjoy it. Go get Barefoot Comedy, sh- the Barefoot Comedy Show on iTunes and all the places you get podcasts. Talk to you soon.